Hey everybody, welcome to episode 23 of What About Therapy. I'm Enoch Fossum and I'm a certified mindfulness life coach. Uh, I'm Austin Ivey and I'm certified in the basics of acceptance and commitment therapy and we are both going to school to be marriage and family therapists here in the state of Utah. And today in this episode, we're going to be talking about the basics of acceptance and commitment therapy, how they can apply to your life. And this is going to be a two-part episode and today's part one, so stick with us. All right, you guys, like you heard in the intro, we're going to be talking about acceptance and commitment therapy today. But before we begin, we just want to let you know right now we're over Zoom just because mm-hmm. we're experimenting with different things and just seeing how it's all going to work out. So yeah, it may we, sound kind of weird. We got some we got some plans in the future to hopefully have some guests on here. And so we're trying to figure out what would be best way to get them in and make it sound good. So if we have that classic Zoom fuzz or you don't hear a word we say, we apologize about that. We're trying to make this work um, the best way we can so we can make the podcast the best that we can. Yeah. And this is also just going to be, it's going to be a part two part series. Yeah. So in this series, in this episode, I guess in part one, we're just going to talk about the basics of act acceptance and commitment therapy. And we're probably just going to say act here in the future in this episode, in the second episode, just so we don't have to say acceptance and commitment therapy Mm -hmm. every single time we say acceptance and commitment therapy. We'll say act. Yeah, because <laughs> that's a lot to say for the entire course of the, uh, these two episodes that we're going to be doing about this. So if you hear the word act, we're not talking about the verb, we're talking about the acronym. So as we go forward, that's what act means. ACT. ACT. <laughs> so what's interesting about act is that it came about about 30 years ago, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, um, I there. think it was the 90s, somewhere in the 90s that it came yeah, somewhere yeah, in the 90s. It's been 30 years, yet so many people have no idea what it is. Like even therapists, they don't, they've never heard of it, or they say, I've heard of it, but I don't use it. And the more I learn about it, the more Austin I have been learning about it, the more that it's just blowing us away. Like the fundamentals of ACT, what it does, why it does what it does. And it's really the way that I lean more towards therapy now, instead of the more uh, classic CBT style, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, style of, of therapy, you know, the, the model I should say for your uh, just way of therapy. Absolutely. Me too. Um, Because the way like looking back on like my past before I even want to know I wanted to be a therapist. I saw therapy as like laying down on the couch and your therapist analyzes your dreams. And as I got a little bit older, I realized that it's more like positive thinking exercises and positive affirmations and changing the way you think and all that, all that CBT stuff and a little bit of like psychoanalytic Freudian therapy. Um, that's what I thought it was, but like you said, the more I've learned about act, the more I realized this is like therapy for the modern day and for the future really, because it's so helpful in the way that it, in the, in the path that it takes, it's it's evidence-based. And we're going to talk a lot about that and what that means. And today we're going to talk about why ACT is so revolutionary and why it's so helpful. Yeah. Now we're, we're not bagging on CBT. Like I know there are some therapists that are diehard. CBT is the only way to go. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not <laughs> going to put names out there. There are a couple of big heads, big, uh, big people in the therapy world that only think 
uh, CBT is, is the way to go. You know, mm-hmm. there's no other modality that, that is supreme. And I think that's mainly because CBT is the most uh, researched uh, modality out there because it's the most popular. That's just what people like. And there is just like ACT hasn't been as researched as CBT simply because of popularity, I would say. Uh, Not because it doesn't work. I would just say a lot of people don't know about it, which is crazy to me. Yeah. But ACT is a lot more action oriented, I I would say, than CBT and it's value based, which is awesome. We'll talk about that too, values versus goals. And it also uses mindfulness a ton, which I think is perfect. I mean, Austin's getting certified in, you know, his, he's going through the mindfulness course right now to be a a mindfulness coach. And um, that's what I've done. And I just, I love mindfulness and it's just so cool that that course, that certification that we're both going to have, or the one I already have of mindfulness goes right into acceptance and commitment therapy. And so the whole kind of premise, I guess, the basics of ACT, it's about identifying helpful and unhelpful thoughts and actions. And it's to help you change the way that you see your thoughts and emotions. A lot of, like we're reading several books right now about ACT, and a lot of them say, you know, if you hear something contradictory, just stick with it, you know, stick with us because there is a lot of stuff that contradicts modern day beliefs on therapy. And so again, if you hear something that contradicts what you know about therapy, then it doesn't mean you have to turn this off right away. Just keep listening. And you may actually, we may actually change your mind and may convince you. Um, yeah. Um, go ahead. And I was going to say, it's, there's going to be some things that, um, that might also tug at you a little bit, make you feel wrong or, um, that you have, if you've gone to therapy before, like a lot of therapists teach CBT and you probably, you might have learned some of those CBT cognitive behavioral therapy, um, like exercises and modalities and different, uh, different activities that you learn from those therapists. And, um, and we're not going to say to stop doing that because if it's helped for you, then keep going. We're not going to be the ones to say that stop doing the things that work for you. Um, and act itself is even some of the things that you apply from it are, are based in CBT. The things that, that have been put into act have been taken from CBT because CBT is obviously it's been around for a while. And there's a reason that it's been around for a while because there's parts of it that really do work. And so um, it might challenge some of the, we might challenge some of the things that you may have learned about therapy or some of the things that you might just personally believe. Um, but like Andy said, you might learn something new today that, and I can promise you, if you apply some of the things that you learn, it will affect you in a very positive way. Cause it really is amazing. Yeah. And I'd say one of the biggest differences between act and CBT is CBT. They in the modality teach you to change your thinking, right? Change the way you think. David Burns is huge into that. Change the way you think so you can change the way you feel. Because thinking leads to uh, emotions. Emotions lead to behavior. And so if you change the way you think, you can change the way you feel, change the way you act. That's kind of the basics of CBT. However, in ACT, they don't necessarily 
I guess I don't want to know why I say they, but the model challenges you to see your thoughts and emotions differently, not to change them, but to change the way you see, uh, change the way you look at them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I'm always changing the way you relate to them. Um, and we, we probably won't go into this much today, but it's based on this theory called relational frame theory this basic premise that humans have this unique capability and ability to relate to things and words and emotions. Um, Like when we see a brownie, we relate to that to tasting good and all these different memories we have of eating brownies. Like if I were to say, even if I were to say dog, you'd have a million different memories about what dogs mean to you, either good or bad. And you relate to that in a certain way. And, um, that is a unique ability to humans. You don't see dogs probably, we don't, we, from what we understand, dogs don't do that to us. Like dogs don't have millions of memories about what humans mean to them and then relating to them in different ways with positive emotions. It's more, it's a much more of a carnal um, evolutionary thing where it's some things are good. We eat certain foods. We don't eat certain foods because they could kill us. And it's like instinctual, but humans with our higher cognitive function, we have this ability to relate to things and act is teaching us that we can relate to things differently. So if we have a bad relative connotation towards something, we can change the way we relate to that. So things like anxiety and depression, negative feelings and emotions, we can change the way we see them and the way we relate to them. So we don't let them control our lives. If that makes a little bit of sense, it's kind of confusing, but um, when you understand it, it, um, it can change your life. So if you can change the way you relate to things, and that's what we will be talking about today, how we, how we do that and why it's important. Yeah. And this is something that you can't just do overnight, right? Like practicing, looking at your thoughts in a different way does take time. Like, it's not just gonna, you're not gonna, like, after you finish this episode, you're not gonna be able to see your, your, uh, you know, issues and stuff you go through in a different light and then your problems will be fixed. Yeah, it takes, yeah, it takes some time. Yeah. It takes practice just like anything else. Um, but that's kind of the main, and again, we'll go more into relational frame theory in part two, which is super cool. Yeah. Really, really awesome. Yeah. And one, one major difference too, um, that we're going to be over the different therapy modalities over the years that have come since the first um, psychologists with Freud and other really popular psychologists is that um, ACT is very evidence-based from the very beginning of its inception. It was all based in like studies, clinical studies, controlled um, studies in a lab by a man named Stephen Hayes, who him and his colleagues, when they created it, they wanted it to be all based in evidence and not just theories. That's how CBT came along. That's how a lot of the other therapy approaches came along. It was just like, this could work because it makes sense in our brains, but ACT was more, this makes sense. Let's put it straight into a research lab and see what shoots out the other end. And so that's what another thing that really sets ACT apart is from its very beginning, it's evidence-based to proven to help you with your problems in your life. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And I love that because I'm a huge like, analytics person as well. I like to look at the numbers of things, you know, and see why things work, why things don't. And they do have that in CBT, but a lot of the times it's just, they don't have analytics like that. Like I would say ACT does, but 
in the book, um, I think it's get out of your mind and into your life or step out of your mind and into your life. Anyways, that's the book I've been listening to. And in the book, it's by Stephen Hayes, the founder of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And if you just look up Stephen Hayes, I think he has 30 plus books written like just on this subject, which is, which is crazy, which is another reason why I think it's also just insane that a lot of people don't know what ACT is, especially in the therapy world. However, in the book, to introduce ACT, they kind of start with a, an analogy or a story. They say, what if like you're, you're in a war, okay? You fight a war. You're in this war that you fight every single day. And this is more like a, a mental war, but it could also be physical for this, for this analogy, okay? So you're in the middle of this battleground, this war, and it's rough. You get beat up every single day. You go out, do your best to try and win the day, win the battle, but to no avail, you just keep getting beat up over and over again. And the war goes on every single day. But they say, rather than fighting the war, what if you could step out of it? And the war still goes on. It's not like the war just stops, but you're choosing not to participate. So think about that for a second. What if you could just step out of the war or of whatever you're going through whenever you try and you know, change the way you think and it doesn't work, you're having anxiety, depression, all this stuff that we try to fight against, which CBT is about kind of fighting against those negative thoughts or emotions to change them instead of fighting. What if you could just step out? Well, one of the really cool analogies that I've learned as I, as I said in the intro, I, I did an online course to become certified in the basics of this therapy modality. And I learned a lot about what it means and amazing analogies and how to apply it into your life. And one of the uh, cool analogies they use for that war that we wage against ourselves every day is, like a, a chess match between ourselves and the chess board is our mind and the different pieces. Like the, the instructor says that the, the black pieces are like our negative thoughts, the thoughts that we don't like and that we are trying to get out of our life. And the white, the white chess pieces are the, the positive thoughts, the good thoughts, the, the ones that um, I guess make us feel good. And these chess pieces, they're always moving and constantly moving around the board, taking each other out, black piece takes out a white piece. And then immediately after that white piece takes out the, the black piece. And that's representative of like all these, all the black pieces taking over our minds in a way, trying to fill our minds with negative thoughts. These, these automatic negative thoughts that we can't control just taking over the chessboard, And then we send back positive thoughts to get, get rid of them and to knock those black pieces off the board. And so it's like this never-ending struggle, that war that Enoch was talking about, that we wage against ourselves, constantly fighting against uh, these negative thoughts or unpleasant emotions or unpleasant thoughts that we don't want to have. But the problem with that is that um, that that chess that chess match is never going to go away. Those black pieces are always going to be there, no matter how hard we try to change the way we think. They're always going to be there. And so, more often than not, the more that we fight against the negative thoughts or those black chess pieces 
the more they're going to show up and the more intense they're going to be. Because when you fight against something that you can't control or that it's a natural thing to have like negative thoughts and unpleasant thoughts, they're just going to come back more and more. And it's going to be harder to fight that battle. And so the whole premise of act to really simplify it down is being able to step back from the chessboard, not participate in it. And to just watch it happen, watch the positive thoughts, notice that they're happening, watch the negative thoughts, notice that they're there and they're happening and they're having their own little thing, kind of like getting on a lawn chair and watching the chess match or getting in a lawn chair away from like the battle that Enoch that was talking about that war and just watching it with binoculars from far away and noticing that that's a part of your life and that it's not gone and that it's still there, but you're not going to participate in it. You're going to live your life regardless based off of um, chosen values that we're going to talk about later, but it's about stepping out and just noticing and observing. Yeah. And my first thought when I was learning about act and this whole concept of just stepping out of the war, I'm like, but I mean, don't you want to change it to live? Like, won't it come back eventually? You know, like if you're struggling with anxiety or depression or whatever it is, I was just, it was really hard for me to think, why not try and change it? You know, because it will be there the rest of your life, but will it? You know, I think the more we try to change it, the more we think about it, the more power we give it. And when we just kind of step back and accept it, that you already, in my eyes, have started to win the war when you accept it and you just realize that it's there and you don't have to change it. You don't have to do anything. Why let that stop you from living a value-based life and doing what you want to do? You know, like, yes, maybe you struggle with pornography, but that doesn't need to get you down. You know, I think that's, it's such a powerful concept once you understand it to just in uh, realizing that you can do whatever you want to do right now. It doesn't matter your mental health state, whatever it is. If you just, you can accept it, you can step out of the war. And that brings me to another thing about uh it's called psychological quicksand this is also in the book i thought that was this was really interesting so if anyone if you i'm sure all of us know about quicksand i mean it's in a lot of cartoons (laughs) (laughs) but if you step into quicksand you start sinking right and the deeper you get into the quicksand what happens you start to struggle you start to freak out start to breathe really fast you start to kind of claw your way out. But what also happens when you struggle, when you put a lot of energy into trying to trying to get out, you just sink even deeper. You know, the the space under your legs when you lift your leg up to climb out is instantly filled with sand and it just pulls you down even more. It's just like a little like a reverse like it's like a suction cup in a sense just whoop, kind of sucks you in. So the way to get out of quicksand, I mean, I'm no pro. I've never been in a quicksand, but I know how to get out is you don't do anything and you kind of just do slow movements. And if someone has like a stick for you, they can, they can pull you out when you're not moving. And that's the key, I think, to, to living a, a happy life is a lot of the times, okay, this is kind of funny, but I don't know how many of you play Clash Royale, all right? (laughs) 
it's it's a fun mobile game little card game but when the, the when the screen is loading they give you little like tips and one of them was sometimes the best move is to not play a card instead of to play one and i was like huh that's true not just for this game but also for life for especially here in act sometimes the best move is to not react especially if you have a negative thought or you feel you have this negative emotion when you just don't act you acknowledge it say okay like i see you you know i see you thought thanks for coming in and i mean you can come with me if you want but i'm gonna go i'm gonna go report record a, a podcast right now so you do whatever you want you can stay here but i'm gonna do this there's a really cool um I guess it's, I don't know if you want to call it an activity, an exercise or an application, whatever it is. Um, it's basically called like putting it in your back pocket or putting it in your pocket. Like if you have a problem, let's say you're really socially anxious and you have a hard time with any social, social situation. And that that's been me a lot, a lot of my life. I am a really, I'm a huge introvert and I hate big crowds. I'm a very intimate person. And so I like smaller groups of people and I, that's where I kind of thrive. Like most introverts. And so if you are like that, you're like me, then this or any other problem you could apply this to if you think about it. But the put it in your back pocket analogy is like you could even do this literally if you have like a like a card or a piece of paper, you could write down that feeling on a card. Let's say like social anxiety or anxious thoughts about this or that problem. People are going to judge me for this when I go to this group or the social social situation. You write it down and you put it in your back pocket, either metaphorically or literally. And it's literally like taking your problem with you because no matter how hard you try, there's no magic pill. There's no magic spell or potion or incantation. That's going to take away those problems because they're kind of a part of who you are. And that's, that's the approach of CBT is to get rid of it and take, take it away. But the big premise of act is to learn how to accept it and bring it with you. So the, put it in your back pocket, if you have social anxiety, put it in your back pocket, like Enix said, I'm going to record a podcast or I'm going to go to this party. Like social anxiety, you can come along with me. Brain, thank you for telling me that I'm anxious. I am anxious, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring this along with me and we're going to do it anyways, because I want to do this. And that is based in the values that we're going to be talking about later because we have different values as humans and act as a very value-based um therapy modality that you have to live your life according to your values to have a fulfilling life and getting letting these things get away from you struggling with that psychological quicksand is going to take you away from the things that you love the most and lead you away for, from a fulfilling life but by accepting these things and all these negative feelings and emotions that you have and then inviting them to come along with you through your life's journey rather than spending every day fighting with them can help lead you to that rich and fulfilling life that we're all looking for at the end of the day yeah, yeah, exactly. Now I'm going to spit some facts. So about 30% of adults are dealing with a major psychological disorder at any given time. Okay, so any moment right now, there are at least 30%, 30% of uh, adults around the world, not just US citizens, 30% of people around the world that are dealing with a psychological disorder, an issue right now. And about 50% of people will have such a disorder, um, like a serious psychological disorder at some point in their lives. So at least once. 
everyone, at least 50%, which I mean, that's a ton of people. It's crazy. There's about <laughs> 7 billion people on the earth, maybe almost eight. And that's, you know, three and a half billion people that are going to go through a mental struggle, a psychological disorder. And if you're listening to this now, you may have already struggled, you know, psychologically, mentally, and you may be going through an issue right now. And what's crazy is that we talked about this in a couple episodes ago as well, how our immediate thought, especially here in the United States, is when we feel something bad, we need medication. You know, instantly go for antidepressants, or like I said, I instantly go for ibuprofen when I get a headache. That's my first thought. And that, I think that's wrong. I think that's very detrimental to us as a society and to us as individuals. And people spend so much money on trying to overcome things like anxiety, depression, uh, eating disorders, pornography. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying, again, we said, we've talked about this before as well, that medication isn't bad. It's, it's amazing, the technology that we have and the medication, the medicine that we have now, but we use it in the wrong way. It's always our first go-to and it doesn't need to be. What's interesting is in the get out of your life or get out of you, get out of your mind and into your life, get out of your life and into your mind. <laughs> don't <laughs> do that. Of what we're trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't do that. But they mentions that antidepressants are a $10 billion company. And they say that's a product that only works 20% better than a placebo. And that is just, that blew my mind because that that's ridiculous. That's not enough. I guess, evidence or not, an, not enough uh, proof that antidepressants work for me to want to take it. You know, I might as well just take a placebo at that point, mm-hmm. you know, take a sugar pill instead of a, instead of a, an antidepressant. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. I actually, I didn't know that until this moment either. Um, but it is, it's kind of our culture, especially here in the United States that we want to take the easy route and um, anxiety medications and other forms, I guess, of self-medication that people participate in. Um, they're extremely easy and they're very rewarding too. If you take, think about benzodiazepines and other tranquilizers that people take for anxiety, like Xanax. And um, I believe that, I don't know the names of it, but Xanax is a big one and it's abused a lot as well. And that's part of the problem is a lot of these um, antidepressants and treatments are, they're abused by people and it creates a whole other set of issues. And so instead of just being depressed, now you're addicted and now you're dependent on these things and it's making your problems a hundred times worse just by being addicted to these things and dependent on them. And that's, that's the opposite of fulfilling life. That's the opposite of a rich and full life. Now that you're, you can't live without going to the pharmacy every month to get your antidepressants. And again, if you take those pills and you use those things, that's not, not a problem. It's, it's an amazing miracle of science. I guess what we're trying to say, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's a better way. There's a way to live, live a rich and fulfilling life. And that's through some of the things that act teaches. And, uh, I, I think that the main thing that we they get caught up as humans is that we try to feel good and we want to feel these positive emotions all the time. Cause no one wants to feel bad emotions. No one wants to feel anxious. No one wants to feel depressed and no one wants to feel bad, but 
that's part of life. We can't control the way we feel just because bad feelings are going to come no matter what there, there needs to be an opposition in all things. Otherwise they wouldn't really be a good, if there wasn't a light or if there wasn't a darkness, we wouldn't even know what light is. It would just always be there. And it'd be the same thing with happiness and good feelings. We wouldn't really know they were good unless there was bad feelings. And so there's this amazing book called the happiness trap. I believe it's by a man named Russ Harris. And he is a huge act teacher. I think, um, yeah, I think it's Russ Harris. And he's written a few books about act as well. He's one of the world renowned teachers and researchers and uh, um, advocates for acceptance and commitment therapy. And this book called the happiness trap is all about this idea that humans are obsessed with feeling good and to not feel negative emotions. And there's this amazing quote that says um, the goal is not to feel good. The goal is to live life and to live life is to feel the whole spectrum of human emotion. And so if we really want to have that full rich life that everyone is looking for, at least I know I'm looking for, and I'm sure some of you are looking for, you need to be willing to accept the whole spectrum of human emotion. That includes the negative stuff because otherwise you're just going to, you're going to be so depressed thinking that you're wrong or broken for feeling negative feelings and negative emotions like anxiety, even though that's just a regular part of human life. And so that that's part of the, the acceptance part of acceptance commitment therapy that we need to have, we need to accept the need for acceptance that negative emotions are just, they're just a fact of life. And that when, as soon as we accept them and can observe them and stop fighting them and just invite them as a part of our life and a part of our life experience that frees you and gets rid of those chains and allows you to move the way you want to move and live the way you want to live, despite these negative feelings if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And going back to like CBT, like David Burns has written the book, feeling good and feeling great. I have several episodes based on feeling great and I don't, I'm not taking back anything that I learned in that book or any of my podcasts, any of the episodes that I think was wrong as far as I know anyway, right now, because I totally agree with everything I talked about. However, just to show you that, you know, CBT and I guess us as humans, like Austin was saying that we're obsessed with feeling good. I mean, so obsessed that David Burns took advantage of it and wrote a book that said feeling good because everyone wants to feel good. I'm not saying that that's a bad title or that's you know evil. He would title his book that way. It's smart. That's good. But it just shows you that everyone wants to feel good. And everyone wants to feel great and hit those two books are some of the best selling books in mental health today because someone sees, you know, on the title feeling good or feeling great. Like, Oh, I want to feel good. I want to feel great. You know, and then they're, they buy it. Boom. And what they learn in that book is great. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not fighting against it or anything, but a lot of the times, like Austin was saying, we don't need to try and change it. And there's also no proof that we need to change it, right? I mean, if it lingers long enough, obviously, all things in moderation, but doesn't mean we have to change an immediate bad feeling once we have it. Like, it's okay. It's We're only human. I think I mentioned this before this psychologist in a church meeting said that we we know we're happy when we feel a range of emotions 
And I think that is so important because when we think of happy, when we think of feeling good, we think of people smiling all the time, walking down the street, whistling, loving life. But that's, that's not, that's not it. That's not being happy. When we're happy, we are living life and we feel everything. We feel emotions, you know, who's to say that anxiety or feeling sad, feeling depressed is bad. And I think that's something that at least, you know, I thought was bad for the longest time. But now as I look into it and learn more about ACT and learn more about just being human, that's, it's a normal part of life and it's okay. And you can accept it. And those things don't have to stop you from doing what you want to do. Yeah. I think part of that too, is that it all goes back to this, this culture that we've created that um, we can kind of control the way we feel when we feel it through different substances or um, we have so many different behaviors and activities that we can engage in. There are just these huge dopamine hits that make us feel so good. And so we've, it's kind of shifted our thinking that um, we don't have to feel bad. We have all this technology and pills and other um, amazing things in our lives, like kind of like movies and video games and just so many things that allow us to feel good. And at least for me, for the longest time, I, I thought that feeling bad or wrong or, or feeling bad or anxious or depressed or any negative emotion was, was incorrect. And the, like the humans shouldn't be feeling that. And that's part of the premise of the happiness trap book is that a lot of humans think that way. And that's part of the problem. That's what we've created in our culture. But like Enoch said, it's the, it's the opposite human, human life is it's the whole range of human emotion. It's and that includes the negative stuff. And so if you want to truly live a life that has almost pure joy, instead of happiness is I always distinguish between joy and happiness. Happiness for me is a very superficial, it's feeling good. Like, like this, like the skin level, like you, you eat a brownie and it tastes good that like, I'm happy when I eat a brownie, Yeah. but I'm full of, I'm full of joy when I'm doing something I love with my wife or I'm fishing on a river with one of my, one of my best friends. That's joy. Like doing something that I really care about or doing an act of service for someone like um, shoveling the, the driveway for the lady, like our landlord that lives upstairs because she's a widow and um, she can't do it herself. Like, I feel really good when I do that. Um, but it's not like happiness. It's like a, it's a true joy. I think so many people are obsessed with being happy when in reality, we should be thinking about the things that bring us joy or true fulfillment and doing, doing things that bring you fulfillment is typically going to include doing very hard things and avoiding uh, things that bring pleasure, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And one thing that act is really big on is they say several times, Okay, through a training course, I'm going through that training course that Austin just finished. And they say a couple of times that your brain is not your enemy. And I think, you know, a lot of people know that like, okay, yeah, yeah, I agree. However, they also say that your brain is not your friend either. And when I heard that, I was like, what? You know, it kind of made me double take, went back a little bit. Like, did I just hear what I heard? And I think that's something really important to know is that your brain is a tool, okay? And it's, it's a tool that works. It can either work for you or it can work against you. And what's, what we need to know or 
a good way to notice, I guess, if your brain is working against you is if you have repeated negative thoughts, or if you always think I'm a failure, you know, I feel so bad about my life. I'm, you know, I did this, this, and that I didn't do it perfectly or whatever, you know, all these cognitive distortions. When we have those, that's a signal that your brain is working against you. And in act, you learn how to turn that around to, to make your brain or allow it to work for you. So there's a lot of different activities that we'll probably talk about in the part two on different exercises that you can do, but um, it's basically turning our brain into a, from a fix it brain, like trying to solve all of our problems into a, an acceptance brain. Um, but it's, it's turning that brain into the tool that it is. It's, it's just like a, it's an organ, just like our heart or our lungs. And there's a lot of people that I've heard, at least that have had a lot of um, psychological pathology that say, I hate my brain. My brain hates me, or um, I hate the way my brain works. Um, like it's some separate entity that we have no control over. But when in reality, like Enix said, it is a tool that we can learn how to use through different exercises. We can, we can't always control thoughts and emotions that we have because that's human life. We can't control certain feelings that we have and automatic thoughts are automatic for a reason. We can't always control them. They come into our mind based off of our lived experience and um, the things we've experienced in our life. They, they bring those thoughts into our brains, but we can, like we said in the very beginning, we can control the way we, we, we relate to them and how we react to them. And over time, use these different exercises that we'll talk about later to turn our brain from an enemy or a friend into a tool. Because that's ultimately, like Enix said, what it is. We can learn how to turn it from a, an enemy on the, on the other side of the, like in the World War I, like the, D, the, like the DMZ or the, the no man's land. They're on the other side in the trenches shooting back at you. They're not an enemy. They can be like the, the hammer in your hand when you're building your bench from or your shelf from Ikea or whatever it is, whatever tool you use. It can be just as helpful and uh, beneficial to your life as any household tool that you use all the time. It just, it takes some time to learn how to apply it. And uh, when you do, it can lead you to that rich and fulfilling life that ACT promises you can have by implementing it. Yeah. Yeah. And in closing here, like Austin was saying about joy and happiness, Bowie says he feels joy when he like spends time with his wife or goes fishing or um, snows or shovels, snows the driveway, shovels the driveway. Um and if you think about it, all those things are value-based. Okay, so Austin has a value of service. He has a value of spending quality time with either friends, spouse, family, what have you. And that's one of the other building blocks of ACT is to learn to live a value-based life and not necessarily a goal-based life. Because when you live a goal-based life, okay, I've done this for the most of, majority of my life. I've lived goal-based. You know, I've lived from goal to goal. So I want to, I've been really big in the gym. Like I want to, you know, clean and jerk or snatch this weight. Once I do, I'll be happy, you know, and yes, sure. Yeah, that can be, that's true. You can be happy, but I love that distinction between happiness and joy is it's different. Happiness is 
superficial and you can have it, you know, the other way as well. If you want, like joy can be superficial. Happiness can be uh, the deeper, but for the sake you, and I'm sure all of you know what I'm talking about is there's that feeling of just joy or just a happiness, I guess you could say when you reach a goal and it doesn't last very long. You achieve the goal, boom, done, hit that peak of dopamine, bam, I did it. I'm the literal best. But then it just goes away, you know, 10 minutes, an hour, a day later, you don't feel as great. However, when you live value-based, when you live a value-based life, those feelings, that joy tends to stick with you a lot longer. I'm not saying that you're always going to feel joy when you live a value-based life, but you do get that, that deeper feeling of fulfillment and of success and of, I guess, a deeper feeling of happiness. You feel complete. You feel like you're doing something with, with your life. You feel like you have purpose. You know, Jordan Peterson is huge on that, that everyone needs purpose. That's one of the things that we all search for in life is purpose. And once we find purpose, once we start living those value-based goals, that value-based life, then that's when we start to find our purpose and to really step into that and to start to find joy. And when we do live value-based goals and find that joy, then these problems that we have, these negative thoughts or emotions, they're still there, right? But we can start to accept them as a part of who we are and they don't have to stop us from doing what we want to do. And the one thing that I, I want to end on is that um, anxiety and depression, they can be part of your, they, they are a part of your life story. And so by running from them, you're almost running from a portion of yourself and you can't be full of joy. You can't have a fulfilling life if you just keep running from yourself. And so what ACT teaches is that when we turn towards our problems and the things that the negative feelings and emotions that we have, we turn towards ourselves. We turn towards the part of ourselves that maybe isn't very fun to deal with. Anxiety and depression, other cognitive problems, they aren't fun to deal with. No one wants to deal with that, but they're a part of who we are. And so when we run from them or we hide them or we numb ourselves to them, we're hiding, our, we're hiding, we're hiding from, running from, and numbing ourselves from a part of ourselves. And that's, that's really dangerous. And like if you think about yourself as another person, um, someone that you love, you should love yourself. Everyone listening, you should love yourself. And if you were to run or avoid someone that you truly love, like a parent or a spouse or whatever it is, your life is probably going to feel pretty crappy. And so by turning to yourself, even in those negative feelings and emotions, that's when you start to move towards that rich and fulfilling life, that joy that Unique was just talking about. Because um, as soon as we turn away from them, we uh, a little part of ourself dies. And I think that's part of the reason why anxiety and depression is such a spiral because we, we run from it so much. We turn away from it and, and then in turn, turn away from ourself and it just gets worse and worse and worse, but turning towards it, pivoting as it, we'll talk a little more later. It's called pivots, cognitive pivots by pivoting and turning towards it and turning towards your values that you live your life by. You can start to live the life. Like as that book that Enoch is reading, you can get out of your mind and, and into your life. You can invite your, your problems to come along with you and live the way that you want to live despite all the negative feelings that you have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's a book called the dark side of the light chasers. My wife told me to read it. I, I think it's awesome. It's a really good book. 
it's by Debbie Ford. And she mentions very early on in the book that we all have a shadow. And I mean, physically, yes. And also mentally, we all have a shadow. And in the shadow is all the things that we tried to avoid and all the stuff that we kind of stuff down into this bag, into the shadow that aren't accepted. So if we don't have a socially compliant goal, like we've talked about, if it doesn't meet those expectations of society or of our family or of a loved one, we tend to throw that quality away or at least put it into a bag and you know stuff it away so we can be accepted by other people. And in order to fully love yourself and to accept who you are, and to really start to find purpose and a step into your life, you need to accept all the parts of you. If you want to feel happiness and joy, you need to accept the dark and the ugly, the sad, the depression, anxiety, all of that. You have to. Like Austin was saying, when you try and run from it, it's you can't feel true joy when you haven't accepted a full part of yourself because the depression and anxiety, the addictions that you may have are a part of your story. It's who you are. You can't run from it and learning to accept it. That's when you can start to get rid of that, that bag or that negative shadow and step into your life. So I hope you can all kind of hopefully understand some of the basics of acceptance and commitment therapy. I know a lot of it can be hard and a lot of it can seem, you know, like it doesn't work, but try it, you know, really try it today. Just start to identify some of your values, work towards them and see how you feel. And I promise you, you're going to feel, you're going to feel good. You may not feel, you know, excited and happy, jittery joy, you know, right away, but you're going to feel a deeper sense of accomplishment and meaning in life. And as you go throughout today as well, and just this week, when you have a negative thought or negative emotion, just accept it. And we'll talk about more tools as well and and different exercises you can do in part two, but just start to observe your thoughts and to accept them and to keep doing what you're doing. They don't have to stop you and they don't have to hinder you. And one more invitation on top of that is to not run from your problems. Um, Between now and the next episode that we release, if you have a feeling of anxiety or depression or some type of negative thought that you don't like experiencing, instead of trying to bury or run from it, turn towards it a little bit and try to figure out what it's about. Observe it a little bit. Don't engage with it, of course. Like we don't get involved with the chess match, but observe it. Notice what it's about. Notice what it is. And then bring it along with you. Put it in your back pocket, like we were saying earlier. And I can promise you, you may not feel joy or happiness, but you will immediately feel peace. That's one of the big promises with ACT is that you'll start to feel peace in your life. And that um, I've, I've become more and more obsessed with peace and how how good that can be in a person's life. Because the 2021 living, it's it's pretty much the exact opposite of peace in a lot of ways. And so as you start implementing these things, I can promise that you'll start to feel peace in your life. And ultimately, as you start getting better at the acceptance and the things that we'll talk about in the next episode, you'll start to feel that joy the fulfillment and meaning, meaningfulness, I guess that would be a word. Um, but as you start to implement this today, you'll, you'll start to feel the peace that, um, that this therapy modality is, is promised and clinically proven to give. All right, everybody. I hope you learned something new, implement it, start to observe your thoughts, observe your feelings, 
And when you recognize that, that's the first step to change. So thanks all for listening and we'll talk to you in the next episode. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please leave a rating and review. That would mean the world to us. That's how we'll be able to reach and help as many people as we can. If you know of anyone that could possibly benefit from this episode or any other one of our episodes, please share it with them. You can also subscribe or follow to be notified when our future episodes come out. Thank you all for your support. Until next time.